Hey there, friend. Listen, I want to invite you to join me for an upcoming presentation I'm offering called How to Shift from Willpower to Want Power. If you're tired of feeling like you have the best of intentions with food and weight, only to have it all fall by the wayside by the time your head hits the pillow at night, then this is for you. If you're interested in making permanent weight loss easier and less of a struggle, then this is for you. If you're curious what want power is, which you probably should be, and can't wait to learn how to incorporate it into your journey toward peace and freedom around food, then this is for you. I'll be presenting live twice on Wednesday, May 1st, 2024, at both noon and 7.30 p.m. Central Time Zone. I'll answer your questions live and we'll have a really good time together. But if you can't make either of those days, I'm not going to make you get a replay emailed into your inbox only for it to get lost and never be watched no matter how deeply you want to make time to go through it. Because I mean, honestly, who are we kidding? (laughs) We've all done this, including me. No, instead, we are offering multiple watch parties for several days after the live presentation. So come watch the replay with other doctors and interact in the chat with them and my team. So either way, whether you come live or to a watch party, it will be worth your time for sure. All you have to do is register at katrinaubellmd.com forward slash want power. That's katrinaubellmd.com forward slash W-A-N-T-P-O-W-E-R. See you there. You are listening to the Weight Loss for Busy Physicians podcast with Katrina Ubell, MD, episode number 246. Welcome to the Weight Loss for Busy Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Master Certified Life and Weight Loss Coach, Katrina Ubell, MD. This is the podcast where busy doctors like you come to learn how to lose weight for the last time by harnessing the power of your mind. If you're looking to overcome your stress eating and exhaustion and move into freedom around food, you're in the right place. Well, hello there, my friend. How are you? Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here. And you know, I get emails frequently from some of you who are really like, listen, listening every week to this this podcast is what gets me through. I really feel like we are friends when you say that. And so if that's you, I just want you to know I'm saying hello. We are connected. There's a heart connection through this, this medium. And I'm so, 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 so glad you're here. And if you're new today, then welcome. I'm so glad you're here. You're going to hear from just an amazing client who I've been working with for quite some time. And she's just a delight. We were both kind of like, why have you not been on the podcast before? How weird. (laughs) So, okay, let me tell you about Mia Woodward, MD. (laughs) She is an amazing tenured professor of ophthalmology. So smart. Can I just tell you, I've never told you this before. I can handle a lot of body parts, but the eyeball and me just nope, nopity, nope, nope, nope. (laughs) I remember when we were learning ophthalmology, just being like, oh, yeah, this is not what I'm going to (laughs) do. And I think it's actually a great career. And anyone who's into it, I'm like, go you, that's so great. But I don't know, it just the eyeball is just kind of weirds me out. It's just a no. So I'm so glad that there's amazing people like Mia, and other ophthalmologists who are all in on the eyeball. It's so great. (laughs) Anyway, Mia started in weight loss for doctors only, I think she said in January 2019. 
It's been quite some time, and she has been with us into Masters and VIP, which is a continuation of Masters. She's made such incredible progress. And honestly, losing weight and keeping it off has been just a very small corner of that. You know, we often go into it thinking like, this is going to be the biggest, hardest thing. And, you know, you solve that problem, and then you work through all the other things. And we talk a lot about how she applied the tools that she learned from weight loss to other parts of her life and how she's just changed so many other areas of her life for the better. We didn't even, we barely scratched the surface on this, on this conversation. There were plenty of other things that, that she's really worked on and made great progress with that we didn't even get to in this conversation, but I think we hit the highlights and it's going to be a really interesting conversation for you. We're both, you know, Midwesterners. So, you know, if you like the Midwestern vibe, (laughs) you've got it today. (laughs) So anyway, you're going to really enjoy this conversation with Mia. And so without further ado, Here's my interview with Mia Woodward, MD. Mia, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Thank you, Katrina. I am so excited to be here. I'm so excited. We were just talking about how it's just kind of a shock that we haven't had this conversation before for the podcast because you've been around for a while and you've had such major progress from being in the program. I can't wait to talk with you more about that today. Yes, it has just been absolutely wonderful. And me either. Let's go. Yay. Okay. So I would love it if you would introduce yourself, just kind of give the, our listeners just a, you know, kind of a, a rough overview of who you are and what you do. Yeah. So my name is Mia Woodward. I'm an ophthalmologist in academic medicine, and I am a tenured professor. And so I do a split between um, ophthalmology and research. I do health services research. And I'm a mom, and I'm married with uh, to a lovely husband with two kids, um, two boys who are in the rambunctious eight and six year old ages. Awesome, amazing. Okay, so let's talk about. I love hearing people's stories about, like, especially when it comes to overeating and that kind of stuff, weight loss. Like, when did you first start struggling with that, or when did you first start using food to feel better? Well, I think. I've always enjoyed food from a young age. And I think that I had a pretty healthy relationship with food, but I also just never stopped when I was full. I would tend to just eat more because it felt good to eat more. And I think that probably happened from when I was really like young and maybe in like junior high, high school would just have more than probably was enough for my body because it just tasted good. And I think, you know, in high school and then even more in college and then certainly med school and residency, food and and alcohol like was a way to either more celebrate successes or just, you know, feel use food to like make myself feel better. And it was just always a little extra. It was never in excess excess, but always just a little extra to sort of make myself feel a little better. And that's only really looking back. Like, I don't even think I recognize that until I now reflect on that. Yeah, totally. Were you just curious, were you raised with like, you should finish what's on your plate and like that kind of thing? Yeah. Clean play club. Clean play club. And I was, yeah. And I was the girl who would like eat the bad stuff first so I could have the good stuff at the end. Which is like, yeah, it was like, get it out of the way. Eat like, those Brussels sprouts immediately because they're worse when they're cold. <laughs> just get it down. Don't even argue. <laughs> totally. And just like, right, exactly. Get it over with because you're going to have to do it anyway. And it wasn't, I mean, my parents weren't draconian about it. I mean, they were, 
very easygoing, but, but, you know, the expectation was to finish. If you uh, certainly, if you wanted dessert, you needed to eat the healthy stuff. Yeah, totally. And I just, the only reason I asked that is because I think for, I think that's a really common scenario where when you're expected to clean your plate, then you're, you're consistently eating just a little bit extra possibly. Right. Or like, say even you wanted seconds or something and you got more, like maybe half of what you got as the seconds would have been enough, but because you're expected to eat everything you took, then you kind of, it just becomes this like normal habit to just get a little bit over full. And then that just seems like that amount of food is when you should stop because you just don't know anything else. And that's so much of what we do in weight loss reductors only, right? It's like recalibrating that. Like what is actually normal? What, when are you supposed to stop? And the, the reason why I think it's so important is because for many of us, like we're young, really young when we stop really listening. And sometimes even as toddlers, we're like encouraged to eat. So maybe we don't even have any, you know, long-term memory of ever doing that. It's just important to recognize that. Like, of course we had that problem if that's, you know, what was encouraged. Yeah. And honestly, I'm not even sure how much it was my parents because like, maybe I'm sure they said it to me when I was really little and then I internalized it. But I think it was also just sort of like school and like, you know, there's so many forums where you get this message, especially like maybe for our generation, I don't know, like the messaging, like, you know, I'm in my mid forties and like the messaging back then was like, you have to eat all your like food pyramid. Right. And so like eat the healthy stuff before you eat the bad stuff. And so I actually don't even think like my parents were certainly not like, you know, food focused. No, but my mom was also an excellent cook. And like my dad was an excellent cook. And so like what they made was fantastic. And so I think I got in this habit of like not noticing and it just being good. And so then I wanted more and then I was supposed to eat the good stuff. And like, you know, yeah. I have a responsibility with a capital R. So like, I was like, I will eat this good stuff. So or this, <laughs> right. the, 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 the food I have to eat because I want yes. all the rest of this, you know? Right. So I right, think I right. just got into a vicious cycle with it, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. And I honestly, I think that responsibility is something that so many of us as, you know, physicians have as a strength, right? Like it's, and I know it's like in the Clifton Strengths Finder, it's in my top five and like for better, or for worse, like I can see all these ways it's helped me and I can see all these ways how it ended up creating problems for me in my life, just because I wasn't even aware, like, you know what, you don't have to be responsible for all of these things or like that actually isn't your responsibility. You just took it on because you decided to, because you're so responsible. <laughs> We were just talking this week on, on a coaching call where like, I don't know if you listened to that one, but someone was like, you know, third grade, I got most conscientious award. I'm like, oh, me too. I got the most conscientious award too. <laughs> it's like, we're a little subsection of the population with these very similar characteristics often, you know, so it's so, funny. It's so true. <laughs> I mean, the perfectionism, the responsibility, the like, you know, the A plus like gold star, like, man, you know, it is just, it runs through everything, right. It goes from your clean plate club, like all the way to like how I show up at work and like getting, getting my grants and like doing X, Y, and Z. And, you know, it's not that I don't love to do those things, but the strength overuse is a weakness. Right. And so then I just show up in this way that it's like, I have to be responsible for this and responsible for that. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm out of responsibility. <laughs> right. You're like, why am I exhausted and burned out? Oh, exactly. <laughs> that's why. Dang. Yeah. Yes, totally. So, so then heading into adulthood, kind of continuing similar patterns or what happened until you got to the point where you thought, you know what, I think I need to try something. Yeah. I mean, I think that 
okay, so I've had healthier mindsets about like my, my, you know, my body weight. I had this good friend of mine and I that we would talk about how we were like avocado. We were like good fat, you know, like we would just like, you know, like I'm just thinking myself like an avocado. Like I'm a little fat, but I'm like a good fat. And like, you know, like, cause there is good fat. I mean, it's not, but so I had times in my life where I was focused on it and less focused on it. But I think I, for a long time knew that I I was not aligned with how I wanted to be in my own body. Like I knew that sort of the me that was using food and, you know, having wine after a hard week at work and was just not me. And so I really like, I would always lose weight in the summer when things were easier and more relaxed. And then I'd comfort food and gain it all back in the winter. And I was just like, I just didn't almost identify with who I was. And I was like, why do I always like, eat more than like I I want. And so I did the whole like, I mean, responsibility. I mean, I, I can be your girl on willpower too, right? So I did, I mean, I, I can crank up that willpower notch like so high. So I did Weight Watchers. You know, I lost um, 10 pounds using that and it was the points and the strictness. And I, I mean, I was like really proud of myself, but it took like effort and energy and it was, it was actions, right? Like I was doing all these things, but I had a mindset of like drive, 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 as opposed to like, it was not easy. It did not feel natural or comfortable, even though the food was fine. Just like the, the act of sort of that intensity around it was just not great. And so I did that in um, like residency fellowship. And then like, you know, did it again when I like got married for the wedding dress cliche And, but it just felt hard, like, you know, and it was hard, like it was very vigilant. I felt like it was like kind of all consuming, like it was always operating the back of your mind, at least, you know, like you couldn't really go out and do things very easily, even though they claimed that you could. And you're like, and I was always hungry. I was always hungry. Because like, I mean, honestly, like the most awesome thing about like, finding your program is I got to eat avocado. Like I could be (laughs) my full fat self, right? Like I could eat full fats. And so I, I like could eat less, but there was so much like satiating, right? Like you feel like, ah, I like my body is well taken care of instead of this like gnawing hunger all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so it just didn't feel aligned when I was doing those things because it felt very forced. And I was a big exerciser, like exercise every day of the week. And so I never like the exercise kept me from being like, you know, I, I could eat more and then be at a weight that I was okay with. And I think, frankly, I just would dismiss it. I was like, well, you know, fine. Everybody has a thing like weight might be my thing. And it was really like finding your podcasts that sort of like had the aha that I was like, wait a second. I'm eating because of my feelings. <laughs> like, And I was like, what? <laughs> Because I really was, I was eating at the end of the day because I was tired and eating more because I was tired and like, or upset or whatever, pick your emotion for the day and, you know, hustling all day long. And I, I was just, you know, tired. And then once I sort of identified, I was like, I'm eating because of my feelings. That's really strange. Like immediately, just by sort of through your podcast, I was able to just by just by awareness, you know, just by becoming aware that I am eating in reaction to a feeling. I was like, I don't like I'm in the pantry and I'm going to like eat something, but I'm only eating it because I'm feeling that's weird, you know, and just I just dropped six pounds, like just 
And I was like, whoa, that's, you know, like getting close to my Weight Watchers weight. And I'm just because I am recognizing I'm feeling something I don't want to feel like mind blown. <laughs> so it was really amazing. And that's when I kind of knew that I was on to something, you know, that I was like, oh, oh, there's like a treasure trove in here that I knew I was like, if, if I can figure this out just from like recognizing that I'm linking this action to a feeling or like I'm, I'm using this food to like manage a feeling. I was like, there is a lot more here to like uncover. Felt like the tip of the iceberg, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. You kind of, it's like, yeah, like X marks the spot, like dig here. <laughs> like I think there's more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. So you started off in the program and it was not long after that, that your father passed away and that was unexpected. So that was like, okay, you're like, I'm here for weight loss. And then it's like, boom, right into real life, which of course I would never, you know, like be glad that that happens to anybody, but I'm always glad when life does happen, when we you know have people in the program, because it's important that you learn these skills, not in this like, you know, vacuum where nothing can touch you. Because then when you go back into real life, you don't know how to live real life and, and work through this. So I would love to just hear a little bit more about how you work through that. Cause I remember coaching you periodically through that time is obviously super hard, but you really grew so much in your own personal work during that time. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I joined in January of um, 2019 and then I actually just lost all my weight, like by, so I, you know, I had about well, I didn't even think I had 20 pounds. I lost over 20 pounds, but I was in it to lose like 10 or 15. And I was, I knew it was like, it is about the food, but I know because of this feeling thing, it's actually not about the food. So like, what's going on? So like, and I trusted you. I mean, like, honestly, you had that podcast where you're like, and I was that girl who the boots wouldn't fit in high school. And like, I was like, my boots didn't fit either. And I'm like, I'm crying over on a podcast on the way to clinic about boots not fitting in high school. Like, I feel like she knows me. Like, I'm not sure what's going on. So I joined in 2019. And then I really just recognized, like, I just, I mean, your program was really just such a guide to see, oh, it isn't about the food. It's about what you're thinking and like how you're like, you know, just identifying and managing your emotions. And so the weight started to come off, which is, of course, very exciting. And then you kind of kept harping on like writing your thoughts. And I was like, fine, Katrina, I'll do it. Like, I don't really know. So I started journaling. Yeah, I reluctantly journaled. And then it went from like, you know, the analogy that I like to give is like, at first journaling felt weird. And sort of like, I never flossed when I was a kid. And so you start to floss and it like feels weird. And then you like start flossing and you're like, oh, that feels kind of good. And PS, you stop getting cavities and your weight starts coming off even more than it did when you were not like journaling. And I call it morning pages. I don't know. It's like, so I'd like do my morning pages. And then it was just like, I was allowing my brain to like get it all out. And so I started doing that in about March and I was like, oh my, this is it. Like, this is, this is the thing. Like, and I'd been meditating for a couple of years. And so it tied all together of like the intention and then like letting my brain di- like divest of all the junk in there. And it really did feel like flossing. Like I was getting all the junk out of my teeth. And so I, the weight really fully came off in April and, or I got to a steady state, like below what I was hoping to get off. But like, I was like, this is probably where I want to be and not any lower, a good place. And then my dad had been sick from cancer, but, and he was hospitalized. I mean, but you never quite see it coming because they, everyone's like, oh yeah, it's just like a little thing and he'll recover. 
And he didn't like he died in the hospital unexpectedly. And it was awful and heartbreaking. And we live in different cities and I couldn't make it there in time. Like my mom and my brother were calling me and I knew like I knew it was like that he would. And I said to my mom and brother, I was like, he will he will probably die before I get there. And that's okay. Like, you know, it's okay. Of course, it totally wasn't. (laughs) But you know, it was going to be what it was. And I spent like the whole ride, like journaling and, you know, yeah. And I spent like one week straight in the same hoodie. And I had friends that came out of the woodwork and just were so loving to me. And I had, but I had myself, I think, you know, I also had a mechanism to process emotions. And I'd also learned from you about clean versus dirty pain. And I knew this grief was a clean pain. And I'm like, and your journey of like your losses in your life. And I was like, the only way through this is through not, not a void, not around, it's got to be through. And so I just was like, I gotta just, I'm going to be super sad. And I'm going to be super sad. And I'm still super sad. Like I'm getting choked up talking about it. And I feel still very connected to my dad. And we have some things going on with, you know, things he was connected to that are changing right now. And I'm deeply processing like, you know, selling off something that he like a a place that he went to. And, you know, but I, the weight, you know, I just like literally two weeks before had gotten to the steady state and knew I was. And I was like, the last thing my dad would want is for me to like, lose this wisdom. And so I actually used like his grief to say, like, I know my dad, and I know my relationship with him. And I know what he believed in, he believed in me. And one of the things like, he would never want me to give up on myself and or not learn what my own inner goddess was telling me. And so I just leveraged that knowledge to really dig into the grief and be really freaking sad and cry and feel uncomfortable crying. Cause I'm not exactly a crier, except now I am kind of a crier, but that's a whole other <laughs> thing. But it's a um, skill, right? It's a skill. It's a skill. And it's awesome. Like, I mean, I was not very therapeutic when you're open to it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And it, and also, right. Crying wasn't scary anymore. I could just cry and, and I'm not like an idiot for crying. Like I'm not a fool to cry. Like, right. And so I just was able to do that. And it was really interesting too, because I had just lost all my weight. And so a bunch of people were like, Oh, are, like, are you so skinny? Cause your dad died. And I'm like, no, actually, like, I'm not like, I actually lost this weight and it's almost an honor to him that I've been able to like, not used food. Like that's how I framed it for myself. Like I was like, I listen, if you need to eat when you're in grief, like fine, like whatever you need, you've got to do what you got to do to get through it. That is not a judgment, but I was able to sort of pivot to a thought that was more like, this is a way for me to honor him, which is being true to the feelings I'm feeling and not using food to buffer them. Which is so great. And and that's just as valid of a way of going through it, right? Because so many people would be like, I remember when my daughter died, that someone gave me a book. And one of the things it was saying is like, you know, different ways to take that, you know, supposed like, take good care of yourself, self care, whatever. And one of the things was eat comfort food. And this was like, well, before I learned any coaching stuff or anything. And even at the time, I remember thinking, oh, that's interesting. Like that, it seemed like that seems kind of weird. Not that there's anything wrong with doing it. I think actually what my thought was is like, oh, that's what skinny, like naturally thin people can do. Like people like me. Well, and also, I mean, in my own defense, I had gained all this weight to have a baby and then the baby died. So I was very much in like, I need to get this weight off kind of a thing because it was like such a physical reminder of what had happened. So that probably influenced it too. But but regardless, right? It's just like, so such a, a part of the culture is 
like, you know, just eat to feel better. It's okay to hit the pause button and eat. And like it is, but also you should be aware that that's what you're doing rather than just thinking like, oh, this is how, like, this is the best way to get through grief or, you know, this is just like the way rather than questioning that and going like, or what if it's not the way at all, or it's not the right way for me. Well, and I think, you know, I think what I totally relate to that story is that people give self-care tips and they're not built on a strong foundation, right? So like people are like, oh, you're burned out, meditate, eat comfort food, like do this, do that, like get a spa treatment. And it's like, if you're doing those things from a, I want to take care of myself because I love myself, it's very different than I don't want to feel this or, or I'm in such a bad place and this will get me out of that bad place. As if the act of self-care can get you out of the bad place as opposed to taking care of yourself and then choosing to do self-care things, right? Like, so like, like, am I explaining that? Like, you know, it's like, you know, if you meditate, so you don't feel bad, that's very different than if they're like, I want to take care of myself. And one of the ways I take care of myself is by meditating or eating comfort food or whatever. Like, it's just a mindset. It's it's a different approach, right? If you think about any action, right, you're going to have thoughts and feelings that are driving. And it's like, what are those thoughts and feelings driving that action? And so, so like the action itself may or may not be useful, it all depends what is upstream of that to determine what it is. And just like you said, like, it's just like that one size fits all kind of a thing. I mean, I feel like just, you know, after what I do for years here now with coaching, I'm just always questioning everything. I'm like, I wonder why they say that in the image that they have, because it's actually like, it was actually really a beautiful book. And it was written in like, kind of like a cartoon format. It was like, you know, illustrated, but it was kind of written like it was a, a kid's movie, but book, I mean, but it really was so much you know, like so often children's books are actually more for the adults anyway, you know, like that's really what it was. And of course, like the image of the woman who's grieving, like she's totally thin. Right? Like, of course, she should eat all the pie in front of her. You know, <laughs> She doesn't appear to have a food problem. <laughs> so so you work through that, not that you're like done, because as you're saying, like, you know, I mean, I always I just look at my own grief as just this is an ongoing thing that I'm open to feeling the rest of my life. Like, I think it's an integration into your life rather than a, now I'm over it or I'm past that, or, you know, it's resolved. Like I, I don't, I think that's possible for people, but I think what's actually much more common is that it's just kind of comes in waves and like certain things like selling off property or, you know, different anniversaries or things like that will kind of bring things back again. Well, let's touch on some of the other things that you worked on. I love like you, <laughs> you're like all into the sparkle and like the glitter of yourself. And that, just because I can imagine someone's like, oh, she's probably got like glitter eyeshadow on or something. And that is not you. But I would love for you to, <laughs> to just talk about that a little bit more. Like what that because it, it, I, it seems to be something that you really connect to that that keeps you connected to your own self worth ongoing. Yeah, so I'd love for you to show. So that. I am a tomboy girl, whatever. Like, I never wore glitter clothing. Like it's unclear if I ever matched anything in my life. Like, so the fact that I identify with the phrase that I sparkle is like also kind of like self humor because it's so not me. Like, I mean, played softball, like, you know, I just, you know, I'm just like never wore makeup. Like as a, I, I literally think my first purchase of makeup was in 
college. I tried in high school, but it was such an epic fail. I was like, maybe we should leave this to the professionals. So yeah, so I came through your, as I was like, actually that same summer, you talked a lot about like being enough and really identifying with being a person who is enough. And we can talk about like professional career stuff too, but you know, being enough professionally has, and as a mom and, you know, a spouse and all these things, like being enough is something that I was really working on a lot. And and always, I mean, always, that's it, right? At the end of the day, if you can believe that you're enough, then like, we probably never fully will. But like, as I get closer and closer to believing that fully, it's just so powerful. So I was working a lot on that. And my minister at church had this wonderful sermon that I actually listened back to several times, where he talked about how he accidentally put his daughter's new sparkly glitter like tights in the wash with like the whole family's clothing. And it got like glitter over like everything. And his analogy was like, so he like went to his softball game with like glittered, like his glitter uniform. It's like there was no time to de-glitter his like, I don't know. It's a hilarious story. And he's a very good storyteller. And he basically was like, this is like love. And like, whether you are spiritual and you believe in God or you believe in a higher power, he's like, you're literally covered in glitter all the time. Like you are enough. You are loved you are whole, you are complete and you can't get the glitter off. Like, I mean, we know glitter, like you yes, can't get, like, we do. you cannot get glitter off. Like, I had some on my face this morning. I was like, what is that? Where did it come from? And why won't it get off? <laughs> exactly. Like those people who send glitter in like cards, I don't know. Like it feels like a little passive aggressive, right? I'm like, what's up with those cards? Like, I don't know about those people. So like, you know, glitter, I was like, oh yeah, no glitter, you can't get rid of. And so this analogy of like, you just have glitter on you all the time and there's nothing you can do about it. I was like, I sparkle. Like I truly just sparkle all the time and there's nothing I can do about it. And the more I, no matter what, like, I'm just, I'm just going to keep glittery, sparkly forever. And I just, it was, it's like, so even now talking to you about it, like years later, two years later, I'm just like, I totally sparkle. And like, again, like not a glitter girl, but I do like, I guess I'm a glitter girl now and I totally sparkle. And it's really just been a resonating centering place for me that when I'm all the time, like even this week, like feeling like a fool or self-doubt and, you know, not perfect and all this stuff, I can just like, if I can pause and just take a breath and remember, like, I still sparkle and there's not like perfectly imperfect, right? There's nothing I can do about it. It's really just been a sounding like a way for me to remember that like the glitter's all over my body. There's nothing I can do about right. it. It's like, it's like this touchstone. You can always come back to that and remember that as like the truth. And I just love the visual of it, right? Just thinking about it, it's like, like I know with my own daughter, sometimes it's like three months later, I'm like, why do you have glitter on your scalp? Like that was from like, I can recognize that glitter. That was from like three months ago. You know, It's like, you can't get it off. And no matter what. It's just the truth about you. And that's what I, what I love about that is, you know, it is that decision like that you're enough and that you're, you know, as worthy as you could ever be. And so creating that kind of framework for you helps to remind yourself of that, you know, consistently. I loved actually how you spoke about, you know, profession, professionally, that sense of enoughness. And I was just wondering if you'd be willing to touch on this a little bit, just because I mean, obviously, you're total baller. I mean, like, you know, tenured professor, like you do all this amazing research. I'm like, I just, you know, like on the, all these boards, like you do all these things. And I'm like, I don't know how, like, how is that even possible? But I remember talking to you about, about just kind of some legacy 
things that you had as well. So I think your father was oh, a doctor. Katrina, correct? it's like the whole, like the, the, just, everybody, just right? Okay. Cause like your grandfather, like, like, they all are. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And they were all had like positions of like the head of this society and that organization, like, like really had, there's a lot of, how, how would we describe it? Like they're just really well-respected and majorly contributing members of medicine. So, so I can only imagine, right. That here you are coming up in that and, you know, it's hard enough to be a doctor <laughs> and then, it, you know, kind of feeling like, oh, there's this certain level of respect that you need to obtain, or people are going to expect something different out of you. And, and I would just love to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah. Um, right. So it's like the whole family of origin thing can either be like your touchstone and foundation, but then of course you can also use it to beat yourself up. Right. So yeah. So both of my, so my grandfather, like tons of academic research, no, nominated for a Nobel prize, like, you know, head of medicine at his institution, internal medicine, my other grandfather, CEO of a pharmaceutical company that we all know that is like, right. And then my, it's like, and then it's not like my grandmothers are shrinking flowers. Right. So one of my grandmothers also a physician did mission trips in like Cambodia during the Vietnam war. Cause like, that's not a big deal. You know, my other grandmother pharmacist, like did underground stuff to get drugs in the Netherlands during the Nazi invasion and was like running from Nazis at times. So like, it's so, yeah. So like, you know, and then these stories are just so powerful, but then they're also incredibly intimidating. So like my, my dad's dad had us all sign contracts at three years old that we're all going to become doctors. I was the only one who like, well, no, so you two have no pressure. I mean, it was kind of funny, but like kind of not, you know, and then my dad's a physician and like super well-respected in the community, an internist and, and really like a role model. And it's like my mom, again, like not a wilting flower, not a doctor, good for her. Like she's just, just a corporate lawyer, a corporate litigator. Cause like, that's not a big right only. And so, and like my brother's super accomplished. And so I, and, and I, you know, I'm good at school. And like, so I could get like all the A's and the, and to, you know, Ivy league, I went to Yale and then I went to Columbia for med school and, and so I was able to kind of do all those things. And then, you know, I had a realization when I was in residency that I really loved academics and I loved doing research and I loved data and numbers and associations and helping more than the patient in front of me, right? So like stepping back and looking at the big picture to make policy and systems changes. And so that led to a career in academia and was really able to leverage my strengths and have wonderful mentorship and have a ton of failures that led to then successes because I was able to learn from those failures. And so, yeah, so I got these big NIH grants that you need to get to then get tenure and I have them now. And so I'm on a ton of national committees and all this stuff. And the whole time, you know, I have mentees and I have colleagues who are like, I don't know how you do this all. And da, da, da. I'm like, well, I don't know if I'm as good as granddad, you know, and like, da, da, da. and meanwhile, like granddad was not home, like taking care of the six and eight year old and like having like a arguably questionable, like, you know, how much he was, a, either of them were really around, right? One internationally traveled and the other was just at the hospital, apparently his entire life. And so, um, you know, I, but I would still like be like, well, I'm not them. I mean, I'm not them. I'm still, I'm not them. And like, I would just, I didn't. I was scared of shining. Like I like that book, The Big Leap. I'm listening to it now. Like I was scared of shining and I certainly didn't want to outshine anyone else. And I also was afraid of the pedestal and people are like, oh, I want to be you someday. I'm like, do you? Like, I don't know. Like, 
Like you think this is all together. And, and even now, like I have so many, like, it's ridiculous. Like if you look, but you know, those self-doubts that you, like, every person has, because they forget that they sparkle, you know? Right. And also, cause they have a human brain, you know what I mean? Like, like you, there can be like, when I'm in, in a, like a solid grounded sound place, this is what I know about myself. And this is what I believe about myself. And then our brains just go back to like, yeah, but you know, let's compare you to so-and-so. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, so I was on a, so I've gotten really, so my new urge work is around like emails, right. And like, just not responding to the ding of emails and everything. And I'm in the middle of writing a grant with some people. And it's been really fascinating to like, sort of keep that grounding while like these things are flying back and forth and the edits and like, oh, I don't like how this is written and not taking it personally. And like being able to say like, this is not about me and like keeping, like keeping grounding myself and keeping remembering that like, I don't have to respond to every ping. And I, it's, it's processing an urge, just like the urge to overeat is the urge to check that email and to be the person that like is on top of it. Because I've realized the less I check that email and am the first to reply and have, and make sure they get their answer right away and like click, click, click. I'm actually so much better for the project because it's almost like, it's almost like watching the Olympics water polo. Like they're going crazy and there's like this ball and they're like warring for the ball. And if you're outside the pool and then you're like, okay, I'll just take the ball and throw it in the net, you know, cause you can just step back from like all the drama of the emails and like what people say. And, the, and you're like, what's really our way to like get this ball in the goal? Because you're not in the middle of replying and responding and, and saying like, oh my God, he said that about me. Is that about me or is it about the grant? And you like, it's just like, no, like, I'm just going to like, just opt out. Yeah. And just say like, well, okay. So I see that this isn't working and like, I don't have to reply to the email. I just have to like get to the underlying issue. And like me replying to the email is just so they like, I hope they think better about me. And it's not about the email. It's about where we want to go. And like, just op- like, I, I mean, the amount of time that I have generated by just like stopping and I mean, to go back to like your, your question, you know, I still always have to unpack like who I am in relation to others, whether they're others in my family, whether they're my work colleagues, where I say like, wow, she just got this big award or that grant, like that comparison. It's just never, you know, I really resonated with that podcast you had with Rick Hansen about like the decathlete, you know, and like, you know, if you're going to be a decathlete, like you just have to embrace the decathlete and just say like, sure. Like if I was all in on that, like, could I get the A plus and like a triple plus? Sure. But guess what? I'm probably getting an A plus anyway, just by like in the process of being a decathlete, like it's like, it's okay. You know? And I think, I think, I think that one of the biggest things is not then getting upset with yourself when you go back into comparison. Like, I feel like some people are like, well, when am I going to stop comparing myself? I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to say never, but I don't want, I mean, certainly I have no timeline for it, but the only reason you'd ask that question is because you're not willing to feel and work through what comes up for you when you're comparing. So if it's like, you can have that awareness of like, oh, I'm feeling really crummy. I wonder why that is what's going on for me. Oh, I'm comparing myself to so-and-so. 
and their accomplishment or their thing. And I'm trying to make that mean something negative about me. Once I have awareness around it, then I have the opportunity to just go like, oh, okay, it's just that thing again. I can just drop that. I'm just going to literally decide to stop thinking about that or stop thinking about it in that way. And that is how you move through it faster rather than going like, when will my brain never offer me those thoughts again? It's like, I think a better question is like, how can I work through that as efficiently as possible and not get myself like stuck, you know, entrenched in this muck that isn't helpful, that spins me out? Like, how can I get myself out of that quickly and just keep moving forward with what I know to be, you know, the reason I'm here and what I'm doing and the purpose of the whole, like why I'm even, you know, in the, in the work framework, like why I'm even here, what am I actually doing? And then, I mean, I think one of the next best steps, what I try to then do is really cultivate like admiration for the person who had the success, right? Admiration and like true happiness and joy for them. Like feeling sometimes even like pride for them. If I can, if I can get there, like I'm so proud of them that they did all that work to create that. That's so amazing. And not having to make that mean anything about me. It has nothing to do about it with me anyway, right? <laughs> Just like remembering that. And that feels so much better, right? For me, for, you know, the way I interact with them, like, so, so that is all we have to do to get through it. We don't have to keep going like, when will my brain stop? Because I'm just not sure that human brains ever really do, especially if this is something we've been doing for a long, long time. And it's just this well-worn pathway that's just easy for the brain. You know, the brain's like, ooh, someone got something good. How does that mean that I suck? You know, like that's just like this split second well, kind of, if, you know. And if it wasn't as if it wasn't available for you to also get that good thing in the way that you wanted it, right? So like, I totally agree. Like, so that's like my morning pages will like get all that junk out. And then like, I love like the appreciation thing. So I have two work wives. We literally like when one of us gets anything now, we literally jump up and down like school children. I mean, we're just like, and like we, I mean, when I got my big grant and then when my other like friend got her big grant, we literally were screaming like high school, like prom, like crazy town people to the point that our statistician came from another room, two of them. And we're like, what's going on with you guys? Like, this is crazy. We're like, we got a grant, we got a grant. And like, you have to like, so celebrate. And it was like hers that, you know, we were kind of going for, and it's, it's so liberating to like, not like I, I stopped competing with my like colleagues at work. Cause it's just, it's their wins. Just like it's rising tides of sailboats, boats, right? Like you know, and if, and, and honestly, like I, I consciously chose to work where I work because I, the environment and culture there is that is one of collaboration and one of teams. And I knew that I thrived in teams from residency. I had this amazing residency class and we all worked together and we just owned it and we had a great class and by working, but by not, by sharing my failures, by sharing my content, by sharing my resources, like, it's just, I've been able to do so much more. Like my grant is with two other collaborators and like, it's, it's rising tides, let's all boats. Like you just do better work. And, you know, even if like another person does like the thing, the next step that I was thinking to do great, then I can move on to the step after that. Like, it's just like, as if this, there's the scarcity mentality is just like, let them win because then you can either celebrate. And like you said, in, embrace the feeling of their win or make you win even more. Like, I just, I don't, you have one lifetime. And so like, just let go of the idea of that you need to do it all. Like what you do like is enough. 
Like it truly is. Yeah. What I love is, you know, like you're just such a great example of learning, you know, the tools to stop overeating and, you know, what you need to do to have that relationship with yourself, to have peace and freedom around food and all of that. But then how you can take all of those same tools and skills and extrapolate them throughout your life. And I think that's the thing that, that I think that when you're new to this work, it's hard to even put that to, it's almost like, almost like unbelievable. Like, I'm not sure I would believe it if I were in the position to be like, what are they talking about? You know, but this, this is that same example. Like you just glossed over it briefly, but you're like, you know, I took all that urge work and now I'm doing it with emails and it's the same thing, right? Like instead you have the urge to, to eat some food, you work yourself through that so that you're not feeling like the food's in control of you anymore. It's the same thing with anything else that you feel like is controlling you, whether it's emails or texting or social media or, you know, some kind of relationship or anything like that. So what I, I always think of it as like, you learn all these amazing life you know, skills and tools just through the framework of weight loss. So I'm like, yes, you will lose weight and that will be fun and great, but that's not even the best part (laughs) because then you can apply it to all these other areas of your life and you start to, first of all, you get to see all the improvements, but then you realize, you know what, when all those areas of my life are so much better too, oh, shocker, it's so much easier to not overeat, right? Because we were using that in the first place to try to get through all of that. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like definitely a huge aha wasn't when I was just like, wait a second, I already know how to do this. I just substitute the word food for time or like, you know, eating for time. And I substitute the word like, you know, like nuts for like emails, you know, and like the actions, like the actions are just, and like, all I have to do is build awareness of why am I checking my email? I didn't think I was going to check my email. And then you figure out, figure out the feeling that's driving that. And then, and then also like create a protocol and a structure for yourself about what relationship do you want to have with time and with email? And so that's really what I've been working on a lot now is just sort of saying, you know, my to-do list is not, well, I mean, there's a lot of items on it, but that doesn't mean that I like the abundance of my time and that what I put into my calendar for the week is exactly what I choose to put into it. And yes, that means some things won't get chosen to put into it. Sort of like I choose to put these foods in my body and (laughs) some things won't go in my body, but I can have a joy eat and, or I can Mm -hmm. like, I can, I have something I enjoy on the weekends and, or I can just have that food next week. Like I can just work on that research project. I just don't have time for it this week. I care about it, but not as much as I care about the thing, other things. And therefore I'll do those things this week and that thing next week. And it's going to be okay. And like that, it's just, it's happening when it should happen. And I will, I will, if it really is something that I want to eat, I want to do, I will find the time and I will do it. And that was, then it's great. And just sort of having that calmness, like wash over me of like the parallels are just, I mean, they're never in the same thing with like the kids and the relationship with the kids. Yeah, it's just, it's all of it. It's just, it ends up, it's just like kind of keeps iterating itself, which I love because it's like, you don't have to keep learning new things. You're just applying new, you know, figure out new ways to apply what you already know, which is like so much faster and easier and better. Well, and I mean, I think that like, I, you know, I really identify with like, I have this wisdom within me. I just didn't know how to access it because I think, I hope most people have at least, even if it's 2% where you're just like, I know, I know how to do this. Like just that little thing that's like, I, I feel like I should know, but like, there's just too much drama and blocky and. But I do think a lot of people think that, especially, you know, like I'm a doctor, I know what I should be doing. I'm just not doing it in terms of weight loss and things like that. And then they feel a lot of shame about like the idea of needing help for that. And I'm just like, listen, 
How would you know? I didn't know. You didn't know. None of us knew. Like, of course, it's okay to recognize, you know what? Like, I get it. I have it within me. And I just need a little guidance to like get on track and, you know, consistently keep showing up. And, you know, I I felt so often like, oh, this is just like that other thing that I already know how to do. Like, oh, that's cool. Like, I thought this was a brand new thing for me. It's actually not. I totally do it over here in my work life. I just need to apply it to, you know, my relationship with food or something like that. Like needing some assistance to get you where you want to be. Like, there's no shame in that at all. Like it's, it's actually in my mind, I'm like, no, it's smart to not sit around, you know, just spinning in, in the same circle of thinking you should do it, not doing it, then feeling bad about yourself and then trying to shame yourself into doing it and not doing it. And then feeling bad about yourself and just continuing around. Like you can just take, you know, the off ramp of that cycle of that roundabout, you know, and just like actually solve the problem. Well, and for me, I think that like, what's hard about signing up for a program is it feels like you're outsourcing and you like, I was like, I'm smart. Like you said, like, I'm smart enough to figure this out. Like I should know how to do this, but I hadn't been for my entire life or I'd been muscling it with an outsourced program. So when I was signing up for your program, I still was like, am I just outsourcing my problems? And now Katrina is going to solve them for me. Thank you. But then I, in your really through your podcast, but also by signing up, I was like, no, I think she's just going to teach me how to solve my own problems. And I haven't been able to figure this out. And I just need like, I like the bumper cars to like, show me the path, you know? And like, you know, the, I just need like, I need to see like someone just to like clear the smoke out so I can like, just get the mist out of the way. Cause there's a path and I know it's there. I just can't see it. And it's just, someone needs to blow, help me blow, like not even blow the smoke, but just like help me clear the, the brush so I can see the path that's already there. Cause I knew like at some level, that's it, right. You know, what's inside of you, but you also don't. And like, so I, when you sign up for like a coaching like program, it, it, sort of seems at some level, like it's externalizing your problems. But in truth, it's actually like, at least the the beauty of the life coach mechanism or a coaching mechanism is, I hopefully, if you find the right coach that they can just show you how to do it yourself. And then it's a lifelong skill. And that and that's what made the big difference. It was like, I wasn't outsourcing my power to you, you were teaching me how to use the power I already knew I had. Exactly. It's like, I think of it as like what, what I know I did for so long. And what so many people do is have this idea of like, I can't possibly be trusted to know what I'm supposed to do. Someone else knows better than me. They're the expert in what I should do. And then when it didn't work, I've made that mean something like something was wrong with me. And instead I'm looking at like, no, you are the expert in you. I'm the consultant. I'm the guide to help you to figure out what that is. And, and then that's why it's permanent, right? When you recognize that and you really know how to handle yourself, then you don't forget that part. (laughs) You can continue doing that ongoing for your whole life versus like, you know, shoot, this, this expert knew what I was supposed to do and I was able to lose some weight and maybe that worked for a while, but then, you know, life changed or my body changed or, you know, I became injured or something happened. And now that isn't working. Now I'm back to square one where I don't know anything. And now I've got to be on the hunt for a new expert. Who's going to know how to handle my body body better than I do. It's, it's just like a sustainable, there's sustainability to it. And it's also just the truth. You know, better than anybody else, what is going to work for you. I just help you to figure out what that is. Right. You know? Yeah. Which I love. So true. (laughs) Because I don't know. I mean, how am I supposed to tell you what you're supposed to do? (laughs) Right. And like, you know, since I come from this, like health services, like research background, like a lot of it is about behavior changes and like being able to like 
so ever and my, I guess my point is everyone sees it through their own lens, right? So like data, science, like behavior change associations. I'm like, I see this is tapping into my self-efficacy and this is tapping into my autonomy. And so I was able to sort of use the work and like in the lens that I knew. And like, for example, like the real reason that I started like writing the morning, like the morning pages is because I you said to start with five, five minutes a day. And I was like, okay, five minutes divided by 24 hours in a day times 60 minutes is like, like, like less point, point something percent of my day. Like, that's just silly. Like I can find like point, I think it's like 0.3% of my day to write. Like I'm not that time scarce, that like I can't find that little of my day to do this one thing that might be the key to everything. And so I was able to sort of frame, frame it in a way that like, I could hear my own wisdom. Like, that's a very small amount of time. Yeah, like you can do this, you know? And so, you know, using your, like using the tools, but through your own lens makes them be more tangible to how your brain works anyway, right? Like I needed something like, oh yeah, this works like behavior change theory and like, and like I could then extrapolate and like believe even deeper because I had already, it already fit aligned with other beliefs I had. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. And I think everybody has their own version of that, you know, cause like you have it like with that. And then I remember it's real specific things about, you know, how I gave advice as a pediatrician or how I just like worked as a pediatrician or things that I learned and figured out as a pediatrician and just being like, Oh, 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 okay. You know, which is totally not your experience at all. Right. So it's like, you know, we all it's, it's learning. I don't know. I just, I'm like, I just look at it like we are intelligent people. We are obviously very accomplished. We can do things, <laughs> really incredible things that most people can't. There's literally no reason you shouldn't be able to figure out how to stop overeating too. There's nothing that's so wrong with you or broken or whatever that that you can't not, you know, find a solution for this. And, like, and you don't just, need to find a solution that's rigid. Like it can be your, like to your point, like it can be your solution. Like however you've had success, like that same pathway can create success in this domain too, right? So I was always like, oh my gosh, like I'm academically accomplished and I've got this great family and I figured that out and like, I'm, you know, et cetera. I was like, but the food thing fail. And then I was like, oh wait, I can use the same pathways that created success over here in whatever form they took to then figure out this as well. Like that's amazing. Yes. I love that. So good. Okay. Well, we could talk forever, (laughs) but one final question, just, you know, if someone's listening and they're like, I don't know, you're starting to, I'm, I'm starting to consider maybe I do want to try coaching to help with weight loss. Like somebody were on the fence or just kind of considering coming into weight loss for doctors only. And, you know, they were like, Hey, can I ask you a couple of questions or whatever? Like what advice would you give them in their consideration? I mean, I think, I think the first thing is just to really try to trust yourself and it's hard. Like it's scary to trust yourself. Like I, I asked my husband like several times, like I'm thinking about joining this program, like just like shots across the bow. And he's like, okay, that's nice. You know? And I was trying to sort of outsource my decision to him as opposed to just saying like, what, what if it's possible to like, trust myself on this one? And yes, it's a big leap, but, but what if it's, what if what I think is possible can actually happen? I think that's, huge. And, you know, and I think just really like being honest with yourself about where you're at and like coming at yourself from a, like coming at yourself from a place of non-judgment too, right? Like just recognize like the reasons that you're holding yourself back and just be okay with them as opposed to judging why you're holding yourself back. Right. So like, 
if you're hold if you're if you are thinking about doing it or doing like coaching in general and you're like oh i don't know and you come up with all these obstacles like those obstacles are the bouncers that are keeping you out of the cool kids club right and so like do you want to like present the fake id and just like get into the club like you know or do you want to just let those bouncers keep kind of ruling your life right and just saying like nope nope can't come in here like can't no no like I know you think you do, but these are all the reasons you can't money, time, like, you know, you know, I, I, resources, like what my so-and-so will think and how am I going to fit that in? You know, time scarcity, I think was a big one in, in my world. I was like, I can't even imagine how I would add that. And I think I would just say like, take a look at those without judgment and be like, this is why I'm not doing this right now. And either say, and that's okay. Or maybe that won't be so bad and I'll just figure it out. You know, I, and so I think just identifying them without judgment, I think would be the biggest thing because, you know, we all have our different reasons for stopping ourselves from growing and our reasons are because we don't like change to scary, you know? So, but you gotta, like, I think it's the nervous butterflies thing, right? Whenever you have like fear and nervous butterflies, it's usually because you're about to do something awesome. And so like, when I feel nervous butterflies now, I'm like, oh, it's like, here we go. Like, let's go. And so I think it's remembering that those, that nervousness is really just a sign that you're stepping outside your comfort zone, but you've got you and you'll be okay. Even if you do that, like you can always go backwards and just like, exactly. I'm like, you can always go back to overeating if you want to, (laughs) it's all said and done, (laughs) you know, if you, if that's really a better, a better option for you. But yeah, I mean, I think even when I think about, you know, like when I first was, you know, trying this out on my own, I was just like, I mean, I don't even know what this is. I don't really know what I'm going to be doing. I don't know if this makes any sense, but there was still that kind of sort of connection to like, but I think this is going to be good. Like, I I just think I need this. I don't even, I, I don't know that I could have explained it in any other way. Cause I didn't even know it was coming. How could I possibly know? Right. So there's gotta be some sort of resonance, resonance or connection there. And it just helps you to know, like, I think this is the path I'm supposed to go down. Like you were saying, like, I can't see it. There's brush all overgrown, but like, if, you know, it seems like this person, you know, this group of people is going to be able to, you know, help guide me down that. Yeah. Well, and, and trusting that like on that path, like you'll know the first couple steps, but maybe you're not even supposed to know the steps after that. Like maybe the steps after that will, will come to you as you take like, you know, the mist, like it's always misty about six feet out, right? It's not misty right in front of you. So if you can take a couple steps, then you can see the next steps and the next steps and then, and the path. And then all of a sudden you're all the way on this journey that you've been there all along. You just could, didn't have the clarity to see it, nor should you, because if you'd seen the whole thing, you'd be like, oh my God, I don't want to do all that. But, but or you, you just be like questions. done with it already. <laughs> like we wouldn't even be having it. You wouldn't be listening to this podcast, right? If you already knew how to do it all. <laughs> so like you're being protect, like you either you internally or life, and you know is protecting you from like the maybe that mist is there on purpose. So you just take a couple steps, then the next steps will come. And I think this is a big step. Is just like I think that I'm connected. I think coaching is so powerful, and like you know, if this is the next step for you, take those couple steps and then the pathway will clear out. You don't have to know the whole pathway before you go. I, I love that. And I was just thinking about like, if we knew every experience that we would have throughout our whole entire medical training, would we have signed up? Like if it's like, okay, and then this person's going to scream at you and then this terribly scary thing's going to happen. And then, you know, all these like, right, like we would scare ourselves so badly, no one would become a doctor. So like, it's okay for it to be like you said, almost like a need to know basis. Like what you need to work on now is these next two or three things. 
And then the path will open up for you when you're ready for it. And just, you know, keep moving along so that, you know, not to say that going through this process necessarily is like equivalent to, you know, the, the strain of medical training, but just that same idea of like, you don't need to know every single thing. Like, I feel like sometimes people are like, well, I just, you know, for me to invest, I just need to know for sure it's going to work. And I'm like, oh, that's so, it's such an interesting way to think about it because it just keeps you stuck where you are. It's like, I need to have certainty that this is going to work, except that the person has so much control over how well it works. Right. Like the, right. Like it's, it's, it's almost like, I want to like, I'm not going to buy this car unless I know that it's going to be functional. That's very different. Right. Because the car is not you. I'm like, no, like, the way you make sure you get what you want out of this program is by you showing up, asking questions, coming back again and again, even when you fail, even when it doesn't make sense, even when, you know, you are mad at me or whatever, you know, like you just, you just keep coming back because you know, you're going to make it to the other side and you have so much more control over that. I think than than a lot of people recognize. Yeah. Well, and I mean, right. It's like, there's no, like you might get an MD at the end of medical school, but that is not at all representative of the journey that you will go on. Right. And so, you know, lots of people get MDs in different things from different schools, but the, you know, the, the pathway and who you are as a doctor is, and as a physician is very different than the, the road it takes to get to that day. And so this is more a road and and then the result, right? The thing the ME, like the the degree equivalent is really getting under a deeper understanding about your relationship with food. And so like, you know, I've been able to then leverage that relationship with food understanding to intellectual freedom and relationship with time and like relationship with my profession and relationship with my family. And so like <laughs> this is different than getting the MD degree that gets you that. This is like learning about yourself and getting freedom on, about your brain. And like, that's the degree you're going to graduate with. It's like br- the brain, the brain degree, like you will understand yourself. If nothing else, you will understand yourself at such a deeper level that you'll just be more aware and just living an intentional conscious life. Like that's the degree that you get. Right. I mean, that's huge. Totally. Love it. Love it. Okay. I think we'll just end there because that's amazing. <laughs> Mia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing all of your wisdom. Oh, no, thank you so much. I'm really, I love being here. I love being in this space and just thanks for your time. It's just been absolutely wonderful. Ready to start making progress on your weight loss goals? For lots of free help, go to MD.com and click on free resources.